Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. Good morning, everybody. You all look wonderful today. Well, thanks. Be careful, my wife will fight you. All right. Well, I'm excited to preach the word today. Um, it's always an honor to be able to speak in the house of the Lord. Amen. Uh, and Pastor Eric, he's been my pastor since I was five. So it's really a cool opportunity to grow up under this house and to be able to grow up, have my own family, have my own kids, and then be able to preach in this house. It's a cool opportunity. Well, yesterday we went to the pumpkin patch. Who's been to the pumpkin patch yet? A pumpkin patch. Okay, well, it's, it's still getting, still kind of hot out, but uh, we went to the pumpkin patch yesterday. My mom and dad took uh, me, my wife, and my two kids. We had a lot of fun. Addie and Jay had a, a blast in those pumpkin spice donuts. Can somebody say amen? God is good. Throughout scripture, we see God's faithfulness. We sang about it this morning, and when I stood in the line of 40 people and got closer to the anointing... Um, <laughs> It was just a great experience. And how many of you know you don't just buy one there, you have to make sure you take some home for later if they get home. And, uh, and as you look at me, you might say, Aaron, not, not so many, but I'm working on it, praise the Lord. Well, every year we go to the pumpkin patch, it's a really great reminder that the season is changing. Summer seems like it lasted forever, and, and when fall comes, it's like, okay, we're almost at hoodies, we're almost at jeans, we're almost, you know, when you start your car in the morning on the way to work and the heat finally kicks in, you go, ah, we are finally in fall. And it's honestly my favorite season, and I believe one of the reasons that I get excited about fall is because of the length of summer. Those 100 degree days, no thank you. I, I, I don't want them. Um, but once we start getting some good temperatures, it feels like we're, we're, we're getting there. And I feel the same way, honestly, when spring comes. Because winter, who doesn't like winter? Winter, the, the ice slipping and falling, which is kind of fun to watch those YouTube videos. And then I pray for them. I pray for them after I watch them fail. Uh, but it seems like it lasts forever, too. But what I want to share with you this morning is the imperative fact that seasons change, and so do we. We're reminded in scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. This is honestly a scripture that I've, I've shared at funerals, and we, we share it at different services because it actually is a great reminder of how much things change. It says in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to be plucked. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh. Isn't that right, Levi? <laughs> a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for what we all pray for, which is peace. 
Uh, perhaps I'm going to share a list with you of all the adventures that have changed over the past couple of years since we're talking about change this morning. And uh, perhaps you went through this as well. In 2020, we weren't sure that we were going to be able to have church. That was a weird season. Like, church? No, we have church. Uh, the pastor, Eric, came up to me and said, hey, we're going to do church in the parking lot. And I know he's watching uh, this morning, but he said, Aaron, let's do church in the parking lot. And I'm like, great idea. I like it. Strange. How are we going to do it? And then he said, I don't know. Let me know when you find out. <laughs> but we did it. We got wireless cameras and put them in the parking lot. We did church on a semi-trailer bed. And uh, we even had Easter out there. It was, <laughs> we got in big trouble because what would you guys do to say amen? You'd honk your horns and then all the neighbors let us know that uh, though they agreed with the word that was shared, the horns were a little annoying. Toilet paper became more valuable than gold. Then we had church back inside. I was like, yes. Uh, by faith, me and my wife, we bought our first house. Then our daughter started kindergarten. That was wild. I have to leave my kid with you. I know where to find you. Uh, then we all had to eat outside at restaurants. That was an adventure. Uh, Ryan forced me to eat in a bubble. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but at Darcy's, they put like these bubbles outside. And um, they, they, they got really hot and they put space heaters in them. And uh, it was really annoying, but praise God, we still got to eat. But Ryan thought it was the funniest thing. He's got a picture. I didn't get it, but uh, let's just show you later. Then we had a presidential election. That was something else. We were then told it wasn't safe to have Thanksgiving with family. That it wasn't safe to do Christmas either. All the while, we're trying to secure a new church property. Uh, it's been a two-year process. Restaurants opened their doors again, everybody said. We secured our new church property, everybody said. And then here we are. Just like when we did church outside in a parking lot, Eric says, hey, all of this, we're going to send it over there. I said, that's a great idea. And he said, let me know how you're going to do it. <laughs> so that's going to be our next adventure. So uh, I appreciate all the help you guys can give. We got internet, like Ryan said. And when you have internet there, everything else seems to be better. So did I leave anything out for change? So what has become more true is this statement. You may not always be certain what change will look like, but we can always be certain of what change will come. So this morning, we're going to learn from the life of someone in the Bible that was faced with so many changes that it makes our first world problems seem minuscule in the grand scheme. And not only that, but learning how he handled the change. How many of you guys noticed there's a difference between change coming to you and you handling the change? Uh, we're going to learn how he handled change because it's imperative to living a successful life and being an effective Christian in your day-to-day -day witness. Amen? So, get your Bibles out this morning if you don't have it. It will be on the screen. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 37. It's towards the end of the book, the first book of the Bible. This is right before we get into the interesting things in Exodus. Genesis chapter 37. Uh, make sure to turn there. I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory this morning. We're going to be talking about the life of Joseph. Now, this isn't the Mary and Joseph guy. This is Joseph, the son of Jacob who, if you remember, is the grandson of Abraham. So are we getting it all together? Okay. Uh, Jacob was the youngest of 11 brothers. He's living with his family in the land of Canaan. His father, Jacob, was the grandson of Abraham. Jacob 
This is Joseph's dad. He favored his youngest son, Joseph, because he had him at an old age, according to verse 3. We're getting ready to get to it in a second. He favored Joseph so much that he made him a robe. Some translations will say a coat of many colors. And this wasn't like he went to the store and bought it, but he actually had it made for him, a kind of a handmade deal. Uh, let's, Let's start in verse 4 on the screen. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him. They could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. In verse 6, he says, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood up straight. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, if it wasn't bad enough that their youngest brother said, hey, you're going to bow to me, he gets a dream number two. Check this out the next day. Then, in verse 9, he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, the father rebuked him And said to him, what is this dream you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And finally, in verse 11, it says, and his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. The first thing that I want to learn about Joseph's life this morning is that he had a different perspective on life. When Joseph shared his dreams with his brothers, his perspective was, hey, I got a dream from God. I don't know, would you be excited if God shared with you a word? If it was so real and you sit, you know, if he shared that with you, I don't think that I would be able to sit down and not tell anybody. I'd say, hey, check this out. Kind of strange. Really cool. But his perspective was, let me share a word from the Lord. But what was his brother's perspective? Are you kidding me? They saw it as a threat. They saw it as an attack that they were going to bow down to their little brother. So this is what they did in, in, in Genesis 37, verse 19. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him, a little harsh, and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. So we got some mocking going on, a little, little sarcasm. Verse 21, but when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So, verse 23, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So what we're doing here, if you haven't noticed, is we're going through the final chapters of Genesis. There's a lot to cover. And if we went through every single scripture, we'd be here till tomorrow. So what I'm going to do here is summarize a little bit of the big chunks uh, for you so that we can get the full story here. And as the scriptures keep going in the next verses, it says that an Ishmaelite travelers came by the pit and the brothers are like, what should we do? Well, they sold them. They sold their own brother um, all because their perspective was different. They slaughtered a goat and put the blood on Joseph's robe. They returned it to their father, Jacob, and they concluded that the son was attacked by a wild animal and that he was no more. All this took place because 
someone's perspective was perceived as a threat. So let me ask you guys this morning, what is your default reaction to change? I hope that you don't kill people when they tell you their dreams. That was a really subtle laughter. That was kind of scary. <laughs> well, what is your default reaction when change comes? Is it, this used to be me, oh, life's, life's at it again, man. I cannot catch a break. Life is just happening to me. Or there's an even further, deeper perspective, which is, oh, God's just mad at me, clearly. Especially for Christians who have walked with the Lord for a long time. They know so much that God wouldn't treat them wrongly, but, oh, man, God isn't helping me out. I, I'm just not blessed right now. So Joseph's positive perspective on change actually launched him into his destiny. And I believe that if we can choose to change our perspective when change comes, we can be launched into our destiny. Amen? So Joseph sold, right? Then he was moved to Egypt and sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was Pharaoh's captain of the guard. Let's pick up back in your Bibles, Genesis 39, 1 through 6. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down here. Verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. And finally, verse 6, So he left all that he had, he being Potiphar, so hey, here's all of my business. Here's all my money. Here's everything that I have. You're in charge of it. Uh, because he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So consider all that Joseph has gone through into this time. At 17 years old, he says, hey, guys, check out my dream. They say, uh-uh. Throw him into a pit. Then he gets sold. Then they travel to Egypt. And then a captain of the guard says, I'll take that guy buys Joseph, and now Joseph is working for him. Potiphar's like, man, this guy's got it going on. The Lord really blesses what he does. You're in charge of all my stuff. That's a pretty wild journey. So it makes me think of a suspenseful movie. Do you guys ever watch suspenseful movies? I quit watching horror movies because they jacked up my sleep, and it's just, not, it's just not a good idea for me. But like suspenseful movies, I do like. I try to predict the ending. Is anybody else with me? You're like, oh, I know what's going to happen. Clearly, she's going to say that to him, and then they're going to do that. I got this down. I should have directed the movie. So I try to predict it. I'm, I'm usually wrong. But when a character in a story does something, you go, don't do it. Do not open that door. Why would you go into that house? You're going to die. You know what I'm saying? I look at Joseph's life, and I'm like, bro, what are you doing? You know, you know just, just leave the dreams alone. Just, just don't say anything. Let that be between you and God, perhaps. You know, then, you, then you maybe you won't get killed. Um, so this brings us to another type of change. Uh, and this is something that we can do. Joseph's initial actions taught us how to change and choose our perspective. Now let's take a look at his actions under pressure. How many of you guys know that you can have a plan? You can, you can have an idea of what you're going to do or what you're going to say to that person when you confront them. And as soon as you get to that moment, you go, what was I going to say? Or when you have the confrontation on the drive home, you're like, oh, I should have said this. If I'd have said that, I'd have really got them pretty good. But what we do under pressure actually shows our character. In the beginning of this 13-year stint of slavery for Joseph, verse 3 of chapter 39 says that his master Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him. 
Now, when I'm faced with change, I want my actions to paint a picture of God for my enemies to see. So you have Joseph, a slave, working for Potiphar, doing all of his business. Potiphar, who's a captain of the guard, he's got things going on, looks at him and says, there's something different about this dude. There's something different about him. What is different is that God is blessing him. And one of the reasons that I think God is blessing him is that Joseph is drawing near to God in the midst of change, in the midst of his situations changing. And I know this because in James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So it doesn't give us the description in, in Genesis 39 that it doesn't always say like in other stories that Joseph woke up and he prayed to God or Joseph woke up and he told everyone around him about Jesus or about God. And so what I'm seeing here is that if, jo if God is near to Joseph, Joseph is drawing near to God. But when I'm faced with change, like I said, I want someone to look at my reaction to change and adversity and go, there's something different about that. There's something going on there. That's not a normal reaction. What is happening here? And I want them to be able to see God in my character and how I uh, look at adversity and how I look at change. When change happens to me, I don't want someone to go, well, I thought he was a Christian. I, that's the guy who preached on the, on the, at the pulpit. He, what's he doing? You know what I'm saying? And I want my son, come on, let's get real. I want my son and my daughter to look at dad and go, that's how you, that's how you handle it. That's how you handle change. You give glory to God. You, you, you don't curse God. You don't get mad at him. But you say, something's going on. I don't know what it is. But I trust that God is for me, not against me. So I'm going to draw near to him so that he can draw near to me so that I can paint a picture of Jesus to the people around me. Amen. I'm excited this morning. So another thing that, that Joseph did with Potiphar is he found favor with his master. Let's take a look at verse 4 there. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the fields. Check this out. Joseph's decision to do the right thing amid extreme change, resulting in God's blessing on Joseph to not just stay on him, but to be abundant enough to go on Potiphar, a man who did not believe God. A man who did not have a relationship with God was blessed by God through Joseph's faithfulness. We sang of God's faithfulness this morning. Are you faithful to God? Are you faithful to be in the same shoes as Joseph to say, I don't know what's happening. I don't understand it, but I do know God, and he is for me. So I'm going to be faithful to God so that my blessing can pour out on others. But we can't be so naive to believe that what we do does not affect the people around us. I can't be so naive to think that the decisions that I make don't affect my son or my daughter or my wife, but the decisions that I make have the opportunity to bless people around me because of my character. Change is certain, but how we respond determines a blessing or a curse. Responding in, with good character results in blessing the people around us, but responding in bad character can result in robbing blessings from people who were supposed to get them. I want to make sure that whenever I'm faced with change, whenever I'm faced with these strange things, that I react positively, that I see the perspective is that God isn't against me, but he's wanting to see me grow, so that in fact, 
the blessing that is on my life can bless the people around me. I don't want to rob people of that blessing, amen? So, Joseph chose to operate in good character, and the result was enormous blessings for him and his master. So, we may not always be able to change what's happening to us or our circumstances, but we can always change our actions to control, to take control of how we react in each situation. It's so true. I see, I see my, uh, my, my daughter and my son, they'll be playing together, and then I'll hear my son say something that I would say. He'd be like, hey, you better, you better listen to mom or you're going to get in trouble. And I'm like, where did he learn that? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was me. Or Adeline will say something that Ariel says. They're always watching. That's a very dangerous thing. But um, it, it's so true that if, if we display good character, they will too. So Joseph's character changed his position from just a slave to someone who is in charge of the house. Let's pick up in Genesis 39. We're going to be back in verse 6. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was, a hand, was handsome in form and appearance. Everybody say, uh-oh. <laughs> when the Bible says somebody was good looking, wait for trouble around the other side. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and here we go, verse 7, and after a time, his master's wife, this is Potiphar's wife, the guy who gave him everything, you're in charge of everything, now his wife is trying to holler at him. Uh, after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now that's a pretty PG version of what she probably said. But he refused, everybody say, oh, thank God, and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in this house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. Verse 9, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So how does this character, how does his character change his position? Well, it would seem not in a good direction at this point. So here's a quick summary. Potiphar's wife tries day after day to seduce the guy. Uh, day after day, but he keeps saying no because he has good character. She doesn't like it, so when no one else is in the house but him, bad move. Let me just tell you guys, don't be in a, in a room with a woman who's not your wife and no one else is there. Bad news bears. He says uh, she was in the house and he was the only one there. She grabs his shirt or his garment, as the Bible says, and asks him one final time. Joseph says no, ditches the shirt, flees the house, and what we happen here is that she sees an opportunity to get ahead of the trouble. She's all, he's about to tell somebody. He's super trustworthy. Everybody likes the guy. I got to get ahead. So she tells, uh, she screams in the house is what she does. I'm not going to scream, but uh, she, she screams and she says, this guy tried to, to get at me. He, he tried to seduce me, go get him. And then Potiphar comes home. She says, hey, Potiphar, this dude tried to seduce me. What are you going to do? And so my reaction as I'm reading scripture is like, Potiphar's got two decisions. One, trust the guy. Do you trust, the, do you trust Joseph or do you trust your wife? He's in a tough situation here. He trusts his wife. And uh, what happens is Potiphar actually sends him to prison. So we go from a 17-year-old shepherd boy to thrown in a pit through brotherly betrayal, to being sold to Ishmaelite travelers, 
to being sold to Potiphar, to running his house, to trying to get away from this crazy woman, to being put in prison. At least it's not a pit, but prison's prison. Now, this doesn't seem like a good direction at all, but thankfully our understanding isn't the end-all, be-all. Let's look at Isaiah 55, verse 9. This is, uh, this is a pretty stress-relieving scripture for those of you who like to plan everything and need to understand everything. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Who's talking here? This is God talking. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than yours. My mom always had the best answer to life's most difficult questions. That you might have a parent or someone in your life, maybe it was an uncle or a, a grandparent who always had an answer. Uh, my mom's answer was always great. I'd be like, hey, mom, so in the rapture, you know, we're all going to be taken up. Will we have wings? Or is it going to be like the Left Behind series, like cars are going to crash, and then people, you're going to see people float, or you won't see people float? You know, I'm, I'm like six years old. Or so, you know, she's like, well, son, you have to ask God when you get to heaven. And then, you know, a little bit down the road, hey, mom, so, so uh, Abraham, you know, with the knife and his, his son, you know, do you think that he was really going to do it? Or do you think that you know, you're going to have to ask God when you get to heaven? So whatever difficult question you have, the answer is ask God when you get to heaven. Uh, but Isaiah 55, 9, his, his ways are higher than ours. So if we don't understand, that's okay. And I love this quote by Pastor Eric. We're not called understanders, we're called what? Believers. So I believe that God has the answer, and I believe that God is for me, amen? So God had a much bigger plan for Joseph, and it was so much bigger than we can predict in a movie. A suspenseful movie, oh, that's going to happen. It's so much bigger than Joseph himself can predict. And uh, so now let's go to Pharaoh's prison. Are you with me there? Imagine a prison. You've seen one in a movie, or you've been there. But just imagine prison. Now they don't have TV or an education program or any of these things. It's just a hole. It's just dirt floors. It's just nasty. Um, so at this point, I want to ask you guys, why hasn't Joseph given up? If I went through this whole journey, and I'm trusting God, and I'm believing in God, and I end up in prison because of a lie, I'm, I, I think it's, it's fair to say that our culture today would understand what's going on and just say, hey, dude, cut your losses. Like you tried... I applaud you. Way to go. Man, you made a, you, you really tried well. You know, you deserve an award. We'll pat you on the back. But is God really going to get you through this? And if I was one of the prisoners in there, picture the prison again. If I'm one of the guys in there and I got the shackles on, I'd be like, bro, no one's going to be upset with you if you just give up. Like, way to go so far, but I'm not going to be upset with you. Uh, but Joseph once again finds himself in the best case scenario in a bad situation caused by change he didn't see coming. Let's go to verse 21 of chapter 39. We got a lot of scripture today, but I need you to stay with me, all right? Okay, good. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. I'll preach to myself, that's cool. Uh, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge, surprise, surprise, of all the other prisoners who were in the prison and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did 
the Lord made it succeed. How stinking cool is God? Every time I'm in one of these situations, you know, I'm like, oh, I hope God pulls through. And he always does. And for whatever reason, as American Christians, we forget that he does. Oh, he can't get me through this one. You know, this is the big one right here. God can't pay that bill. God can't get me out of this situation, but he does. I believe that Joseph's dreams from God reminded him of his purpose. I also believe that because Joseph didn't give up on God, because he remained faithful in the process, God continued to bless him. And I want to tell you this morning that we have to learn from Joseph remembering his purpose in the midst of unwelcome change. And this is something that I got when I was writing this sermon, and it was really impactful for me, and it's really easy to remember. We can't forget the purpose of the promise in our process. We cannot forget the purpose of the promise that God has given us. The purpose of the promise for Joseph is that one day people would bow to him. And you could say, okay, well, that's not really like a really evangelistic goal. I want everyone to bow to me. But he knew that God had plans for his life, that he had a plan and purpose for his life. And I want to encourage you this morning that if you are living and breathing, God has a plan and purpose for your life. So we cannot forget the promise of the purpose that God has given us. And perhaps you've been in church for a while and you've had people pray over you. Or you believe that God has a calling on your life and you know and you know and you know that you know that that's what God has called you to do. You cannot get stuck in this process that is called life and forget your purpose. Amen. I also believe that Joseph didn't give up on God uh, because, like I said, he remained faithful. So we can't forget the purpose of the promise in our process. So my question to you this morning as we move on is what has God promised you? Take a second. Think about what it is. What has God promised you and your family? It might have been when you were a kid. I knew that I was supposed to be in ministry when I was 13 years old at church camp. I was an awkward little teenager, and my head has been the same size since I was like six. <laughs> Isn't that fun? And I remember, I remember the day. It was so impactful. One, because I got made fun of, but two, because of God's promise. But back when I was 13, I was in this church, and I became a small group leader at 13 for other teenagers. That's kind of a cool plan, right? Except we called them cell leaders. And Eric made polos for the cell group leaders at the time, and it said cell group right here, right? And it wasn't very clear. Like, it was probably like a budget T-shirt company or something. And so one of my buddies was like, cheerleader? I said, no, it's cell leader. He's like, no, nah, it's cheerleader, bro. And he told all the girls at the church camp that I was a cheerleader, and uh, it didn't help me out. But uh, I'm not bitter about it. I just. <laughs> but God redeemed it because that night at church camp, we all came to the altar. And if you've never seen church camp, it's just powerful to see hundreds of teenagers at the altar during a worship service just crying and pouring out to God. It's really challenging as an adult to have that childlike faith. Anyways, at that, at that night, I, I received the calling of ministry for my life. And I completely ignored that. I was like, nah. I wanted to be a police officer. And then my final goal was to be a U.S. Marshal. I wanted to be locked in a room with a bad dude. 
and I just wanted to get all of his information. Tell me what you've done. Where is she? You know, all that kind of stuff. Little Batman reference. That was my goal, and I actually went to college. I was, I was at McKendree, and I was doing um, a sociology with an emphasis on, on justice and the, social, the sociology part of it, understanding how people think and how they learn and how to get into their heads. Like, that'd be cool. Uh, it, really, it didn't work out, and because how many of you guys know if God's called you to do something, everything else isn't going to work. It's just not going to work. And, and, and one of the things that I've learned is that if God has called you to ministry and you're not doing it, you've then called yourself to misery because everything just falls to the floor. I, I, I was in college and I lost my scholarship because my papers were in Jamaica somewhere because my, my uh, track scholarship for shot, put, and hammer throw, it just disappeared. They're like, sorry, bro, budget's out. I'm like, this is a private university. Y'all got money. Like, no, we gave it to the football team. So I lost my scholarship, and I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I tried to go to a junior college for law enforcement. That didn't work out. And then I was down there at a church in St. Louis, and their youth pastor said, hey, do you want to help me out? And I'm like, oh, church stuff, ministry? I know I'm supposed to, so I'll say yes. So I started serving in their youth ministry, and I started serving in their worship ministry. And lo and behold, Eric gives me a call in 2012 and says, hey, I need you, man. Come back home. And, and now I've been here forever. And so what I'm interested in this and what I'm saying is I knew my purpose. But in the process, I wanted to veer off. And I think that so many of us have had this great calling on our life. And it may not be ministry. You might be called to start a business. You might be called to be an evangelist. You might be called to be the best plumber in Springfield, Illinois. You might be called to be the best father that your kids could ever have. You might be called to be the best employee that has ever existed on the planet. And whatever that is, whatever God has called you to do, you cannot get lost in the process. You have to remember your purpose, amen? Thankfully, God lassoed me and he yanked me hard. I weigh a lot. He just like, Argh! he pulled me back into the path that God has for me. And I'm so thankful. And I think that's what God is doing for Joseph as we bring this full circle. I kind of went around the track a little bit, but we're back now. I think that God lassoed Joseph in all of those situations. Let me pull you out of this pit. And now we're going to see him get pulled out of prison. Check this out. Uh, Genesis chapter 41. It won't be on the screen. Just a quick synopsis here. Uh, oh, I went too far. Genesis 40. Joseph is in the prison. There's two guys in there. One's a cupbearer for Pharaoh. One is a baker for Pharaoh. They both have a dream. And Joseph's like, I know a little bit about dreams. They get me in trouble. So Joseph interprets the dreams for both of them. The cupbearer's dream uh, has all these details. And Joseph's interpretation is Pharaoh's going to forgive you and you're going to go back to work. Yay. Baker has a dream. Joseph interprets it and says, oh, you're going to die. And the baker goes, oh, no. And as time goes on, what happens? Pharaoh calls the cupbearer back to work. And he says, baker, I'm done with you. And they hang the guy. Amen. So both are accurate depictions. The cupbearer goes back to work, and he forgot to mention to Pharaoh about this dude who interpreted this dream. How many years go by? Two years go by, Joseph's still stuck in prison, and he's about to get lassoed out. Check this out. Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh has a dream. Everybody say, call Joseph. He can't find anybody. He has magicians. 
He has sorcerers. You know, it's, it's, it's Egypt and Pharaoh. He's got everything he needs. But no one could interpret the dream. Then the cupbearer sitting there holding the cup. He's like, you got a what? A dream? I know a guy. He's like, whoops. There's a dude. It's been two years. I feel really bad, but you should call him. So they bring Joseph out. Joseph interprets the dreams. And here's what the dream ended up being, the, the interpretation of the dream. And you can go in chapter 41 and read it. But it depicts seven years of great harvest in Egypt and seven years of great famine in Egypt. Not only that, the Pharaoh was so excited about the proper interpretation of the dream that he says to Joseph, I'm going to put you in charge. For, for the third time, just over and over again, Joseph is being put in charge of things, the favor that God has put on his life, because Joseph is not forgetting his purpose. Amen? Not only that, but Pharaoh says, oh, you got a plan? Let's do your plan. Not only, but you're the guy to execute the plan. Oh, and here's my signet ring. You're in charge of Egypt outside of me. That's a pretty cool upgrade from a pit to a crazy lady to a prison to being in charge of Egypt. God has a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. All right, our last big scripture this morning, Genesis 42. Now, as a reminder, we're talking about five chapters in the Bible here. We're skipping through some very uh, minute details. Go back and read it later. But um, here's where we're at, Genesis 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale, who is Jacob? This is Joseph's dad. If you remember, they're back in Canaan with all of his backstabbing brothers. Verse 42, or uh, chapter 42, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you looking at each other? He said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. So go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So the famine is so bad in Canaan that they're concerned they're going to die. So he says, quit looking at each other, get your hands out of your pocket, and go get some grain. Um, verse 4, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother. Everybody say plot twist. Joseph didn't know he had Benjamin as a younger brother because he's been gone for 13 years. He was a slave for 13 years. At 17, he goes. At 30, he's now in charge of Egypt. That's the little timeline for us here. Doesn't know that he has a brother named Benjamin, but Jacob is so torn about losing Joseph that he says, I'm not letting my youngest son go. We all together here? All right. Verse six. Now, Joseph was the governor over the land. If you remember, he was in charge. He was the one who sold to all the people in the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves. Everybody say, I remember that from the dream. They bowed themselves before him and their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but here we go. He treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And I thought, surely I would recognize my brother. But in the details of scripture, it says that when Joseph was made in charge, the, the very day that Pharaoh called him out of prison, he took a pair of clippers. They didn't have clippers, the, the knife or whatever. He actually shaved his head. Because what do Egyptians in power look like? They have shaved heads. He was probably super tan because of all the sun. And he looked like an Egyptian. He looked like he belonged there. So it had been so long in life that his brothers got there. They're like, I don't know who that dude is, but he's in charge. And they all bowed to him just like the dream depicted. 
Here's what's really cool, though. He did not take revenge on his brothers. He had the power to kill all of them. Or he could have been ironic and threw them in a pit and sold them to some Ishmaelites and said, ha ha, ta-di-da, way to go, goodbye, I don't want you anymore, look what you did to me, goodbye. He did not take revenge because his purpose was greater than his emotions. Everybody say that with me. His purpose was greater than his emotions. You cannot allow your emotions to delay your destiny. I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'm the first to raise my hand and say, I let my emotions get in the way of things. I let my emotions get in the way of my plans. I let my emotions get in the way that I talk to my kids. I talk to my wife. I let my emotions get in the way of how I work, how I drive. Someone say amen. I let my emotions take control sometimes, and that's something that I'm working on. But what I'm learning from Joseph, and I'm glad that God gave me this message to preach today, is that our emotions can delay our destiny, or our emotions, our control of our emotions can propel our destiny. Amen. So we're finishing up here. Stick with me. Though he went through change after change and problem after problem, he remained faithful to God. This is the way God promoted a 17-year-old Hebrew kid using Pharaoh's authority to become the second most powerful man in the world at the age of 30. Tell me that God can't use unsaved people in power to change the world. When I get a little bit nervous about the direction of our country or the direction of the UN or the direction of military powers or anything on that side of the world, I have to remember that God can use them. God can use unsaved people. God can use people who hate him to bring forth your destiny and to change the world. God is bigger than the boogeyman. That's straight out of VeggieTales. And that is powerful. God is bigger than, think of the worst person in the world. I can think of a few. God can use them, and I'm excited about that. Because it doesn't mean that we have to waste all this time trying to change them. We just got to remain faithful. And God, like we sang this morning, is faithful. Amen? So a few questions. Are you willing to believe that God has allowed you to walk through change, that he allowed you to experience a test that you're facing so that you can come out victorious and have a testimony? Are you willing to believe for just a minute that the situation you're going through isn't to hurt you, but it's actually for you to actually make the decision to grow? That God can use us. I don't want to wait and say no to God and him use somebody else to do what he's called me to do. He'll do it. God's way will happen. His purpose will happen, but I want to be a vessel. Can you have faith for that? Can we stay focused on the purpose long enough to see the promise fulfilled? Um, so we're going to conclude this morning. Everybody say amen. Um, I love the story of Joseph. And I, like I said, I only covered a few details of his life. It's, it's so much more. You should, I promise you you should read it. The final chapters of Genesis. Because um, what they actually get into is like raw emotional provision and restoration of his family. He gets restored to his brothers. He actually gets to meet Benjamin and develop a relationship with him. And the whole family is restored again. Go ahead and put on that, uh, that altar music. Um, a lot of cool things happens after what we're talking about here. We established in the beginning of this message that we may not always know what change looks like, but we are certain that change will come. Amen. And it's imperative that we implement the knowledge from Scripture in our lives. God did not give us the Bible so that we could carry 
a heavy book in our car on the way to church and look like we know something. God didn't give it to us just to use highlighters to underline things and and show other people, look how powerful my Bible is. I study it. Look how great I am. But God gives us his scriptures so that we can actually read it. Imagine that. If you haven't been reading your Bible, huge upgrade in your life when you decide to. You get to learn all this wisdom. You get to learn all of these stories that impact your life and change how you move forward. Like Joseph, we can navigate change well by changing our perspective. When change comes, when life happens, in quotes, how are we responding? Is it God's attacking us or life is attacking us or is it an opportunity to grow? I want to be better and see change from the perspective that God has something cool. I just hope it's not a pit. We can navigate change well through Joseph's life by paying attention to our performance. How we act in bad situations can either rob people of blessings, rob ourselves of blessings, or it can curse people. And I don't want to get in the way of God. And we can navigate change well by remembering the purpose of the promises and callings God has given us. So if you would stand with me this morning. I want to leave you with one last thing, and that's that change can happen to us. But if we want to be the incredible men and women that God has called us to be, we have to be able to look at change as an opportunity and see what God is doing, is going to do uh, to us and through us. And I'm going to do my best to embrace change and use it as an opportunity to grow. I challenge you to do the same. And what I'm, what I'm hearing God wanting to say is that some of us, our destiny is waiting on us making change. The next step in our life, God is saying, come on, man, do it, do it, just do it. I see God looking at our situation and we teeter-totter and balance on this decision-making in our lives. Well, if I do it, it could be bad. If I do it, it could turn out all right. But a lot of us, we are putting a wall in the path of our destiny by saying, I don't know if it'll work out. I don't know if I can make that change. So yes, change happens to us, but yes, we gotta make a change too, amen? Change is never easy, but it will change your life. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to get into Joseph's life. Lord, that we can get into a few chapters of scripture and it's not just so we can sit around kind of a a fire and tell camp stories about things that you've done. But Father, that this is a session of equipping. God, that this is an opportunity to grow and that we take Daniel's or uh, Joseph's experiences and we say, I'm going to, I like what he did there. I'm going to do that. I like what he did there. Well, I've been in that situation. I did it wrong. He did it right. And it's not about a competition, but God, today would be the day that we say, Change doesn't happen to me anymore. Change is opportunity. And if we can have good character, if we can see the purpose, if we can stay focused on the purpose in the promise of the promises in the process, Lord, that we can be victorious and that we can advance your kingdom. And as as we see this change that is Angela Hall, God, as a church family, I pray that we would embrace this change, not as something that is annoying or something that's going to take up my, my Netflix time, but Lord, this is something that's going to, for generations, bless that community, bless Springfield, 
And that as our kids grow up in this church, God, that they would, they would take on the mantle that we've, we've, we've latched onto and that they would carry on the, the, the vision of this church, the vision, God, that you have given us. I pray that change would be an opportunity for this church family. God, thank you for change. I pray that we would be better for it. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.